Welcome to episode 112 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Scott, last time on the podcast, before we took our fall break, we reviewed your most anticipated film of 2020, Tenet. And it just so happens that we are following that episode with an episode on my most anticipated film of 2020, Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. But first, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing great, Scott, on our fall break uh, I went last weekend and hiked one of the 4,000 footers in New Hampshire with my girlfriend and a couple of our friends. So it was nice, a nice break to get outside, enjoy the weather while it's at least nice up here in New England, uh, enjoy the foliage and, and whatnot. And then back to the grind this past week at work and back to the grind, although I put that in quotation marks for us on the podcast uh, this weekend, watching movies, which, you know, we do this out of passion, not not because it's work. So it's hard to say that's a bit of a grind. But no, it was really refreshing to talk about Tenet before the break and now coming back and yes it was your most anticipated movie of the year and the only reason it didn't make my list was because i knew it was the top of yours so it definitely was an anticipated movie for me as well so it was exciting to go into this go into this weekend knowing you're talking about another really hard-hitting hopefully really good movie yeah no 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 kidding and for me this has just been a big movie weekend in general uh because you know obviously this came out on friday last night i actually watched minari uh the a24 film directed by lee isaac chung uh through a uh, a virtual film festival um i'm not sure if it's going to open in theaters or vod or anything honestly in 2020 um but so I, I was fortunate enough to get to do that and uh highly recommend the film if you can come by it in any way and uh i am going to be finishing up either later tonight or tomorrow morning from the same festival uh, one night in miami which is the regina king directed uh drama that is getting a lot of oscar hype um and so that's exciting there's a couple other smaller movies that actually uh came out over the weekend that i've been wanting to check out as well so probably get to those next week so the movies are are coming a little bit thicker and faster now we're getting into sort of uh award season we're getting close to award season um and so some of those releases are dropping um and yeah it's it's nice to to get into some some real movies even if you know people might not be uh, huge fans of this film or of Minari or, um, you know, of One Night in Miami, just watching these movies, it feels different than watching a lot of the movies that we have have seen this year, Scott. Uh, you know, we went through a long sort of dry spell, I guess, in the middle of COVID where we were just watching a lot of mediocre streaming movies. And, you know, I, I don't, th- th- these movies aren't mediocre one way or the other. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's going to be saying that about them so that that is nice at the very least but yeah you know for the, for the pleasure of our audience what are some of the other movies that came out this weekend that you're excited about then we can move there's on a, but. yeah there's a movie called sophie jones um which is a small coming of age movie that is going to be um on uh on a fil- our virtual film festival as well i'm going to check that out uh next week and then there's this movie i'm not going to say the title so we can keep our uh, clean rating on uh on, on podcast <laughs> but uh it, it's a movie uh, by this guy, Cooper Rafe, that stars him and Dylan Galula. Um, and so if you look up the movie, um, I've been looking forward to it for a long time because it's described as like a college uh, age 
before sunrise type movie about these two people who meet on one night and just sort of have a conversation over the course of one night. Um, and uh, it looks like it's going to be really good. It's gotten really good reviews. So that one I've been looking forward to for a while. It's finally out on VOD. So I'm probably going to rent that next week. as well. So there you cool. go. You can, you can find that movie for yourself, but Scott, I talked about the Oscar hype there. And speaking of the Oscar hype, uh, let's get into our movie for today. Uh, the trial of the Chicago seven on Netflix. Uh, this is the latest from the pen of famous, of famed screenwriter Aaron Sorkin. The Trial of the Chicago Seven tells the potential, the politically charged true story of the protests by anti-Vietnam advocates in the lead-up to the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. The film focuses, in particular, on the infamous show trial in which the leaders of the protests found themselves defendants. These leaders include hippie cut-ups Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin, played by Sasha Baron Cohen and Jeremy Strong. Family Man David Dellinger, played by John Carroll Lynch, progressive advocate activist Tom Hayden, played by Eddie Redmayne, and Black Panther leader Bobby Seale, played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. The men are defended by attorney William Kunstler, played by Mark Rylance, who soon clashes with controversial judge Julius Hoffman, played by Frank Langella, as Hoffman's prejudices begin to foil any opportunity Kunstler has at building a case. Filled with showy performances, crackling dialogue, and Sorkin's typical flair for the theatrical, The Trial of the Chicago Seven is an old-fashioned courtroom drama with plenty of Oscar implications. Will those inevitable Oscar nominations be well-earned, Scott, or is this a shameless piece of awards bait with no real substance? Yeah, great great question. I think it was definitely the question, honestly, on my mind when I was going into the film. Not that I thought it was going to be completely without substance. I think that's definitely not fair to say what my expectation was or that that thought crossed my mind, but that you know, knowing Aaron Sorkin and especially given the particular political climate that we currently sit in, which makes this unbelievably apropos, even though this film, you know, was in production as of like a year and a half, two years ago. It, it's crazy, you know, how relevant all of it feels. And I think when it boils down to it, I think that a lot of this is on the baitier side for sure. Uh, I mean, this is a this is an actor's piece, right? Like, this this film is designed for these grand set pieces where actors can show off, right? Like you get these long monologues, at least some of them do, not all of them, I suppose. But you get these long monologues. It's a huge, it's a huge cast, and it really is, you know, a script. When especially when you have Aaron Sorkin, it's it's a script that that an actor or an actress, when in this case it's almost all actors, can really sink their teeth into and give off performances. And I think for a lot of it, or for most of the cast, I think that that is how it goes. I think that these are there are some really strong performances in there. There's some really great dialogue, but at the same time, I, I feel like this film is kind of just full of the normal vices of Aaron Sorkin. And he just like can't escape himself in certain moments, which feels a bit disappointing because it feels like there's something really material there. But for whatever reason, I can imagine he, he thought that it would make it for a better story or whatnot, or be more satisfying at the end of it. I think there are certain decisions that are made, you know, whether it be the ending or maybe particular characters that leave me just scratching my head a little bit as as to why that decision was made when one the movie is so serious for most of it i mean yes there's of course it's lighthearted in some elements of it and and certainly pokes fun at at certain characters um but the scary part of this is that as you know unrealistic and crazy as so much of this seems like so much of it was true so much of it was really how things went down you know probably like 75 or 80 percent of it right obviously some things have to be abbreviated uh, for storytelling purposes, and and he does take some leeways with some of the plot. But overall, 
the story is as crazy as it looks, which is maybe the craziest thing of thing of it all. And and so it's really, I think, like I said, there's just so much great material and content there. And I think there are some really good performances, especially with the parts of the script that I think that really hit hard and that are just so, you know, stereotypical Sorkin in the best way possible. That there are these other these other moments, like I don't know if you want to call them flourishes or, or what you want to say, that just seem a bit out of place or a bit weird. But overall, you know, I think it leans more towards the substantive side, but it also does feel uh, baity or at least very Sorkin-y in, in maybe some less positive ways as well. Yeah, no, I, I think this movie is awards bait for sure. But I also think, like to your point somewhat, that's just how Sorkin writes, right? Like I, I think yeah. that's just his writing style is always going to have that quality about it because, you know, a lot of it is actors' pieces, right? Like the West Wing was like notorious for like basically winning like every single, um, you know, acting Emmy award for about the four years that he was working on it. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm not, I don't know if anyone has ever won an Oscar actually for a Sorkin film, but, uh, you know, he, his films often get nominations. Um, because of you know how showy the performances and, and stuff can be because just because of the way he writes it's very dialogue rich uh very you know witty and and uh flowery um and and so yeah like i kind of forgive him somewhat for that also just because i'm a few, huge fan of his writing um but there you know there are moments in this film well okay that there is one particular moment right which is the last two minutes of the film that are i i was kind of stopped in my tracks and um you know, I had to cringe a little bit. It's very ham more, more than a little. <laughs> it's very ham-fisted. And like, I'm a huge Sorkin fan, like I said, and I will go a long way with him. Um, but even that felt like a bridge too far. Um, and, you know, we're in an interesting place, I think, with Sorkin because he's gone in waves sort of in the public opinion, like, right? Like, I mean, the West Wing, obviously, when it was going through its heyday, he was, he couldn't have been more popular. Then he had a bit of a down period where it was stuff like Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Um, which was a big failure. Charlie Wilson's War, not one of his better films. Um, and then he has a huge comeback with Social Network, right? And then he has Moneyball, and then he has Steve Jobs, all very good. Uh, like, I mean, some of my some of my favorite movies of the decade, critically acclaimed, he wins an Oscar for Social Network. Um, and now it feels like things have turned again on him a little bit. Uh, and I think a lot of this has to do with his politics to some extent, because I think People nowadays, there. Okay, not. I, I don't want to use the broad term of people, but there is a group of people out there, and I've seen this in some of the reviews that I've looked at that um, are, aren't too. Uh, don't feel like Sorkin's politics maybe necessarily are that relevant or that productive anymore. And I think it's really the fact that he preaches unity, right? Like unity is a big message in a lot of uh, his work. I mean, going back to the West Wing, right? Like. Um, you know, that show was popular, equally popular among Democrats and Republicans because it kind of humanized both of them. You know, there's Ainsley Hayes, the Republican character who ends up joining the White House. Um, and, you know, it has just been a, a common theme through Sorkin's more politically um, dominated work. And I think nowadays we find ourselves in a time when unity feels a lot harder to achieve just because of how far uh, people on each side of the aisle, um, you know, how, how extreme things have gotten to some extent on both sides of the aisle with our politics and how divided we have become. I, I know that sounds super cliche and everything, but it is true, right? And I think because of that, um, the you know, the fact that he preaches unity sometimes nowadays 
um, strikes people the wrong way as saying, oh, you should just make friends with these people who you believe are actually terrible. Um, and I, I don't know, like, I don't want to go too far down that road, but I just, I think that's important for context because I think this film is somewhat about unity as well too, right? I think this movie is not so much about the value of protesting as opposed to non-protesting, but it's about the approach to protesting and what, like, what is the appropriate approach to protesting, which to your point is something that feels incredibly relevant right now. Like we just had this conversation. We just had these conversations uh, in the wake of the George Floyd killing and everything that came out of that, uh, you know, peaceful protest versus using violence. And, you know, we see differing philosophies on this through the characters in this movie. And, but at the end of the day, the message seems to be, however ham-fisted it comes across at the end, the message seems to be, look, we're all here fighting for the same thing. Um, let's just sort of respect each other's differences. Um, and I appreciate that message. I do think it comes across um, really strongly nowadays. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think the film is really successful for the most part on, on the whole. Like, I, I enjoyed it a lot at, at a, on a base level. It is just a, a very entertaining and engaging film, as pretty much all of Sorkin's work is. Um, the, these movies just go, right? Like, it, well, most of them are over two hours, and you barely ever feel the length. And Scott, you talked about this, that with the social network, which I think is actually a little bit under two hours. But um, because of his dialogue, because of, you know, I, I think the filmmaking, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I think the, it's fair to have some qualms with him as a director. But I think he, the storytelling structure he has here, right, of sort of cross-cutting between what happened in the past, uh, you know, the events of the protests themselves, and what's going on with the trial, the consultations with the lawyer, stuff like that. I think that's effective. It's it very reminiscent of the social network, right? Going back and forth between the deposition and, um, you know, the actual story of how Mark Zuckerberg founded Facebook. Um, and so I think, he, you know, he's borrowing from there. But I think it's effective. Uh, and I think the movie is, is entertaining. It's provocative. Um, it is more nuanced than I think maybe people would expect from Sorkin in 2020. Maybe that's the point of my whole... Uh, you know, spiel a little bit about where we are with Sorkin, because I think it is, uh, it, it's not just like protesting versus non-protesting. It's taking a somewhat more nuanced stance about, hey, let's, let's try to, you know, connect over um, the, the form of protest that we choose. And let's just focus on the end goal and not so much on the means that we choose to achieve that end. And I think that where it goes wrong in that final moment is kind of just that it ropes in these characters who like don't seem like they are on the side of the protesters at all. And all, and all of a sudden, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is kind of like, he, he behaves in a very uncharacteristic way. I think, I think there's a lot of characters in this final moment, in these final moments that are behaving in a very uncharacteristic way. And the dialogue is super cheesy. So that's what rubs me wrong about it. But uh, I really, really enjoyed the film as a whole. Um, and it mostly delivered on what I wanted, even if it's not one of Sorkin's stronger works in recent memory in the film. Yeah, I think I'd mostly agree with that. I think that the message around unity obviously is like, it's what he's pushing for, although I don't think he does the best job of it ultimately. I mean, I think I think he does a good job for a long <laughs> portion of the movie. And it just it just comes off as so hollow, I guess, for me, when it ends with this whole moment where like this is the grand moment of unity at like the end like everyone unites together and it's not real 
Like it's yeah. a movie about very real things. I mean, literally where a black man was taken into the back room of a courthouse, you know, handcuffed bound his, and gagged. Yeah, yeah, bound and gagged, brought back into the courtroom. And at the end, we're saying, look, guys, we can all we can all protest together, right? Like it just feels like Sorkin is a bit out of touch with like the message of his own movie. Like it, it like his movie is just trying to become wish fulfillment when it's like actually most of the movie he's made is anything but wish fulfillment, anything. It, it is real life. And so I, I find it to be really like, like the ending almost ruins the movie. I, I think in terms of like the main theme, wow. me, like message of the film, I think that the fact that it's, it's good bordering great for poor other portions of it hits home. But I, I think just Sorkin just like completely forgets what his movie's about in, in, in the last few minutes of the movie. And in fact, I think most of the end of the movie is like pretty blunted because of the way the filmmaking goes about. I mean, I was like reading where, I don't know if it's Sorkin said this or someone else said this talking about how like Sasha Baron Cohen's last scene on the stand is reminiscent of Jack Nicholson taking the stand in a few good men. And I couldn't disagree with that more. Like that yeah, scene is like so anticlimactic. And, and like, I like the scene, but it doesn't have the well, like dramatic fire black. of a few good men. Sure, absolutely. But I'm saying like it's anticlimactic because it just fades to black at the end when he has this this like frankly what I think is a fairly anticlimactic line that's supposed to hit really hard. It's like I'm on trial for my thoughts. But like, that's not what the movie's about. Like that's not like I, I get what he's saying, and it's just like not what the movie's about. So I don't I don't really understand like what the dramatic impact of that line is, especially when it like fades to black. Well, it's supposed to be this like super serious moment. I mean, I, I disagree with that a little bit, right? Because it's it's this whole idea of punishing these people who you know, did were were t totally concerned. They came to pe peacefully protest. They wanted to peacefully protest, and for the most part, they did peacefully protest. Right, like the yeah. the eventual violence that erupts. They weren't really involved with with it, and but now it seems like these, you know, the prosecutors and the judge and you know some sector of America wants to punish them because maybe in their they heads, with that, that. That, yeah, that, but also and because maybe in their heads at some point. They thought, man, you know, I'd really like to just smack that cop a good one. But they didn't follow through on it. And I think that's what Sasha Baron Cohen is talking about, um, you know, when he's on the stand. You can't punish me for my thoughts, right? Like, I did, I, you know, may, maybe I had this impure thought in your mind, um, but I didn't act on it, right? And you want to you wanna make me the, the, you know, poster boy for this because I'm, you know, counterculture, progressive. I am out here doing stand-up comedy. I don't play by the rules, whatever. Um, and, you know, that's just not what the facts indicate, right? Like, I, I wasn't involved in this. And none of these people were. Right? Bobby Seale, even more so, right? Like, he, he didn't even go to the protests. That's, that's what, I mean, it's so ludicrous um, that he is even on trial in the first place because they make it pretty clear, right, that he was just like eating a sandwich or something. I think he says at some point and he gets picked up by the police because probably because of his association with the Black Panthers. But um, yeah, I, but I yeah. think that's the point I'm trying to make. It's just the like they're arresting and putting on trial at just everyone who they disagree with. Like, sure. Yeah. I, I guess I, I guess I can see the point you're making. It, it's not what I read into it. And it may very well be what Sorkin was trying to do with it. I just didn't think that it did. It, if that was the main message of that, all that, it's not what I took away with it. And so maybe it wasn't effective enough for me. But I, I do hear what you're saying. Yeah. And, and look, this is a problem that people have with Sorkin's writing, too, I think, is the fantasy element of it. Right. Like, I think that's one of the things about like the West Wings. People nowadays kind of think the West Wing hasn't aged well to some extent because of, you know, maybe because of the unity stuff like that, because it's a little bit both sidesy uh, or whatever, if you want to use that phrase. Sure. Um, 
but I think it was always a fantasy, even even in that time, right? Even before the Trump era and things got as divided as they are, I think a lot of his, uh, you know, writing is is fantasy to some extent. And it really just depends on, are you going to go with it? Are you not? For me, the problem with that ending, right, is not so much that it is fantasy, although, I mean, like, I agree, right, is it clearly, as crazy as the real story is, when you watch this, you're like, that didn't happen. There's no way. Like, when you watch those last two minutes. But it's it's the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character joining in on it, I think, is is what is the problem for me. Not because of the sentiment of unity that it is expressing, but because there's no indication whatsoever that that character feels that way about the Vietnam War or whatever, um, and that he has any sort of sympathy for the protesters whatsoever. I, I don't know. Maybe on a second watch, and I do intend to watch it again for sure. Um, maybe on a second watch, I'd pick up something new on that character. But I think that is the problem for me um, with that ending scene is that it just feels like that's a huge leap for him to make just so Sorkin can have, you know, this sort of the both kumbaya moment, yeah. right, that he, you know, brings across in a lot of his writing. But my point is, like, I don't think he needs it, right? Like, because I think he has still achieved that same message through what goes on with the protesters, right? And the fact that in the end, uh, Abby Hoffman and um, Tom Hayden kind of learn to respect each other despite their differing approaches to advocacy, to protesting and stuff like that. I think that's the message right there. He just needs to leave it at that. And then by roping in Richard Schultz, the JGL character, it's like, oh, why did you go this far? But uh, we're getting, you know, we got pretty deep into it there. Um, but I think we we had a good conversation. So, but let's let's go into the cast now, Scott. Let's put a score on it. it. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite scene of Roman. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, we have to talk about the cast, right? Because it is sure. a loaded cast from top to bottom. Um, I mentioned yeah. a lot of big names there up front, um, and I don't want to go through everyone, obviously, because that would take a long time. But uh, who are some of the standouts for you, Scott? Because this this truly is an ensemble piece. If you look at the reviews, right? Like I, I was commenting this even when the screening reviews were coming out, and I think it remains true that it seems like everyone has a different favorite performance in this movie. So it's hard to point maybe to who's going to get the Oscar nomination, although I think there are maybe one or two um, that you would probably have slight, probably have slightly better odds, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the ensemble and who stood out for you and who you'd give those nominations to. Yeah. Who'd I give those nominations to? It's a good one, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, like the, it's crazy when you, when you watch this film, I think there are definitely for me, at least that a few that stuck out and, I'll say one, I don't think there's any way on earth he gets an Oscar nomination for it, but Frank Langella is just like so like, I don't know, just like so much in this movie. Domineering, as the, yeah. As, as the judge, I think it's really impressive. Like, I can't imagine how, like what, again, I, I say this a lot, I feel like, but I can't imagine like the place you have to go as an actor to be able to like get to doing the things that he's doing in, in this oh, film, because it's yeah. a dark, dark place that this judge is in uh, doing and saying you know what what he says and and how he rules and all i mean for the most part that most of that happened in real life which is which is crazy uh to say out loud but i think he's worth a shout out although i i don't think there's a chance he gets an oscar nomination um and i so i think that the flashier performance here i mean has to be sasha baron cohen i think it's like maybe the maybe the easy answer for it but i think sasha baron cohen is like i don't know if he's a, i don't think he's a shoe in i I wonder if anyone here is a shoe in really for best acting. And maybe because there's just so many actors in this film, it might, might be the problem there. But Sasha Baron Cohen is like the out there character who's playing like a meaningful role. Right. And I say that because Jeremy Strong is also playing an out there character. But it's like characters a joke. Like this movie doesn't take that character of uh, Jerry Rubin that seriously at all. I mean, to the point of just like it seems like every other 
scene. They're like making fun of him. Um, and maybe that's for one reason or another, which we can talk about if we want to. But overall, I think Sasha Baron Cohen is this, you know, hippie, right? He, he is like your stereotypical hippie, you know, doing crazy things, making the show trial a show trial for him. Um, because he, if they're going to play that game, he's going to lean into it. And I think it's a performance that stand out and it's a, and it's a serious performance at the same time, right? Like this is not Sasha Baron Cohen doing Borat. He'll be doing that in a, in a week, uh, <laughs> which I think honestly will hurt his Oscar chances, frankly. But I think overall for this film, he's like, he's going, he's doing something really impressive and, and really great and really interesting. And I almost think it's kind of a shame that I think Borat too is going to so kind of like, soil his chances of of getting an oscar nomination if the oscars do happen in april but i think those are the two performances that leap off the page at me at least in terms of like main like more main performances i think there's some more minor roles that also jump out like a yaya abdul mateen or even a kelvin harrison jr both more brief appearances in, in the movie that were also good but those are the ones i'd stick with yeah for me it's mark rylance i think he's i figured but the lawyer the, the lawyer of it all uh, it'd have to be yeah i know maybe, maybe it is but i also love the performance i think that um yeah, it's really i good. think he's i think he's a great match for sorkin right because he's he was a the, theatrical act he was a, mainly known for his theater work before he's gotten into movies in the last decade or so and he's known as being like one of the best you know theatrical actors of his era um and yeah he's he's a great match for the you know theatricality of sorkin's dialogue I, I love you know the sort of uh consternation he has at trying to balance all of these crazy personalities that he is all defending um his frustration with the judge i think is is really strong um and yeah just in general the way he kind of goes from the beginning of like oh maybe you wonder if he's just in this for the publicity or whatever to like as soon as you know julius hoffman opens his mouth and starts mistreating these people he's like Hey, wait a minute! I'm the person who's who's here to fight for these people, so um, I'm going to get angry. I'm going to do what it takes, um, and I think uh, he he wears all of that very well. I did like Jeremy Strong's performance. I, I like his vulnerability as a compliment to to Abby Hoffman, right? To Sasha Baron Cohen's character, because I think that Sasha Baron Cohen character, he's so confident, like he knows exactly who he is. He's, um, you know, he's he's kind of just uh, unabashedly himself. And I think that with with Jerry Rubin, there's there's more vulnerability, right? Like, yes, they play it for comedy sometimes, which I was okay with. But you know, he gets I mean, played they play it by for comedy all the time in, yeah. in the film. But he gets played by this woman um, who's not real, by the way. Yes, that is true. That was that was made up a little bit. He gets played by this woman as an FBI agent. Although it does lead to a great line that uh, it's one of the other two protesters that they don't really profile. Um, too much. I think he. I think it's one of them. Lee Wyman. I think maybe is the guy. And he he leans in. And he's like, "Is it possible that these seven yeah. men were leading an entire protest full of ten thousand undercover cops or whatever?" Yeah. Um, Lee, Lee was, Weiner is his name, but Lee Weiner, the real yeah. the real life name. But yeah, yeah um, that was a good line. But um, but yeah, I don't know. There was something about the Jeremy Strong performance that I liked. And then yeah, I think Ayaya Abdul Mateen also makes a really strong impact in his view. Like his first scene on on. Uh, on screen and actually the opening i think is really really well done like the uh the way that they cut between all of the characters like they set up all the characters really well i think in this very well edited like montage i think the editing in the movie is really strong in general but really well edited sort of like montage flashing between all of them all of them talking about going to the protest we get like sort of their differing approaches from the very beginning right like because go to bobby seal and he's talking about oh you know these people they tried something peaceful they tried peaceful. We're going to try something different. That's his line, I think. Um, 
And I thought he just, from the beginning, he just had a lot of energy about his performance that I really liked. Um, you know, it's a shame that his character kind of goes away a little bit, but also that's just kind of the consequence of the story, right? Like he, he gets a, there's a mistrial, right? His he's case not gets supposed to be out. there. Yeah. He's not <laughs> supposed to be there. His case gets thrown out. Um, and so he, he has to disappear a little bit, but I also, I mean, I think he's an interesting part in the whole equation, right? Because he is more in favor of the like aggressive protesting, um, a, a, aggressive style of advocacy and protesting that maybe, um, wouldn't necessarily discourage discourage the use of violence in some circumstances. So I think he he is an uh, interesting part in the whole equation too. Uh, and I I think this is the kind of performance that I like to see get nominated in like a supporting role, like because it feels like a true supporting role. He's not like a huge important character yeah. in the movie, but he really um, adds something to the few moments that he's in in the movie. And so I, I would like to see that, and I'd like to see Mark Rylance for Best Actor. Sure. And I think that's fair. Um, I, I do think Yaya probably has the best chance, although I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Rylance gets, get, uh, has a shot. I too. think Sasha Baron Cohen has the best chance of anyone. I really think today. Borat, too, is going to is gonna really poo-poo that. I, I really do. I could be wrong. but I mean, Borat is a well-received... The first one is a well-received movie. I mean, it's not like Norbit with Eddie Murphy or something. <laughs> <laughs> that That's fair, but I mean... I just think that it, 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 if the film, it's just, it's going it, to, I think it just sucks up the air for Sasha Baron Cohen being talked around that. Cause not, not because it's going to be a terrible performance. I mean, obviously it's a completely different one, but just because I think it's going to suck up the mind share. And then when you have other actors to split the votes and whatnot, I think it's going yeah. to, it's going to go elsewhere, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, no, like, there may not even be Oscars in, in April, so who knows? Yeah, I hope that's not the case. But yeah, I mean, that, that is a consideration, right, that there are a lot of other actors. But at the same time, you know, we've seen recently multiple actors from the same movie get nominated in the same category, right? Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell in Three Billboards uh, was pretty recently. I'm not sure if there were other examples, but um, I mean, the, but, yeah. the favorite a couple of years ago had sporting actress. That's true. They had Rachel Vice and Emma Stone. So. Or main actress. No, Olivia uh, Coleman got, got lead actress. That's what it was. Yeah, she it, did. Yeah. Then they were both supporting. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's not out of the question. I don't think that we could see like Mark Rylance, Yaya, or, you know, uh, yeah. any combination of them and Sasha Baron Cohen in like a best supporting actor. Right. Cause I don't, I really don't know by the Oscar criteria, like if you could single out anyone as like the lead actor in this movie, I don't, maybe Eddie Redmayne, honestly, I don't know. If he, I don't know. I don't know if the Oscar definitions even matter. It's just what the studios campaign for. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's true, I guess, but I don't yeah. know if the, I'm saying, I guess I don't know who they're going to campaign for. Maybe Eddie Redmayne, but I would I, think I'll Yaya just... in the lead. I, I would think Yaya would be the main supporting actor that they campaign for. Yeah. Probably. I, I was talking, yeah. I was talking about in the lead. If you were going to, point to anyone as like a lead i don't know maybe eddie redmayne but i think mark um, rylance is like a true lead of the movie but yeah, i maybe. could be wrong yeah as for i i, I will i think we, we should say talk about eddie redmayne just for one minute i am not a huge fan of his i wasn't a huge fan of him in this movie either. I, I think he's out of his league a little bit if i'm being frank i think with the rest of these actors <laughs> you're so uh, anti-eddie redmayne it's so funny no, I, I don't think he's that strong of an actor. He's doing a weird accent here. I just yeah. I question the casting well, choice a little bit. Um, he's trying to do and, his American accent, right? I, I, yeah, this is, I'm not, not trying good. to. Yeah, well, I mean, you say that about American actors all the time doing other foreign accents. So <laughs> keep going. Well, yeah, no, I, I'm not. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that. Uh, I mean, I, I use that logic both ways, I think. But yeah. uh, but anyway, I, I didn't. I felt like he was a little he was uh, out of his element here a little bit with these all really strong actors. And I, maybe it's just the Sorkin of all, of all of it. Um, 
I, I don't I don't doubt that he you know can find a role in where in which I would really enjoy him. But he hasn't done that yet. Like he's he's done a lot of Oscar bait films, to be frank. And I don't think the Sorkin of it all like it, it does him any favors here, to be honest. I think not every actor can keep up on the verbal treadmill that is Sorkin. And um, I I think he unfortunately is the one that I would point to here um, as you know maybe falling a bit short of the rest of the ensemble. But you know you're always going to have that. I feel like in a movie of this uh, type. Yeah. I- I am a bit more of an Eddie Redmayne fan than Scott is. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm like the 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 like a massive Eddie Redmayne fan, but I I think he's comparable to some of the other. I mean, I think he's comparable to Jeremy Strong in this movie. Frankly, I don't think that's Jeremy Strong's fault um, or Eddie Redmayne's fault. I I think that ultimately this is like one of the least interesting characters in the movie, right? I don't I don't think he has a lot to work with. I mean, you're saying maybe he can't keep up with Aaron. Sorkin's dialogue. I just don't think this character keeps up with a lot of the other ones in the film, frankly. Yeah. I just don't think it got as much love as some of the other characters. And maybe that's because he's the least interesting person in the film, honestly. Like he's this person who like he he does have an arc, but I don't think the like he realizes that like I I guess like he I'm I'm speaking all this and so he is like the arc of the film, right? Like he's this person. It's like, oh, he's very important. He's a very important character for sure. But yeah, I, I kind of agree that he's not interesting but but he's very important right because and maybe this will transition us but like he is kind of uh, of all of these guys he's like the milk toast like white liberal like classic white liberal character in this movie like he is supposed to embody that i mean that's what i got right because he he's you know he's a strong advocate whatever for progressive ideals but then he stands up right when the judge there's a big deal about the fact that the judge Hmm. um you know he he stands up when the judge leaves or whatever after um, after putting Bobby Seal about binding him and gagging him. And there's um, that one moment that, I don't know, didn't totally work for me where he goes to. Um, oh my God, that seems horrible. I, with I, the I, housekeeper. Yeah. And she says, you know, that I heard you didn't stay or I heard you stood or whatever. But the, I can't, the point I can't is, even imagine that conversation happening in real life, even even if that wasn't something that came across. Yeah. And, it's so and, eye rolly. Yeah. yeah. So I. I don't know. I, I feel like his character is important because he is a certain he, he is like embodies a certain type of advocacy that it maybe differs from with a lot of the, the other characters just because he has the clean cut appearance. Right. Like he he doesn't uh, give off the same like countercultural vibes as a lot of the other people, you know, as Bobby Seale or Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, all of these uh, folks. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, he, and the whole standing up thing, it's like wait a minute, what do you really believe here? Like, are you just kind of all talk and no, like, actual action? Um, and oh, so I twist. think... He's not at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I do I do, yeah. I do, do hear what you're saying, though. You, uh-huh. you, that, that is a good point about, about tying that part into, about the, the him, the standing up part. I think that, yeah, I, I guess I still stand by, like, he's just not an interesting character. Like, I think you could put anyone in that role and it's going to be hard to make it interesting. For me, it certainly is important. I I, I do agree with with that. It, he's like he is sort of. I feel like he is the meta arc of the movie, right? Like he's this person who isn't really totally bought into this notion of unity, but by the end is conv- realizes that they're all on the same team, right? Like yeah. with, specifically with his dynamic with with Abby Hoffman and Sasha Baron, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen's character. So I I think it's a it's a really critical character. But like if you had to look at that two and the dynamic of those two, like not only is Sasha Baron Cohen doing a better performance. I, I completely agree with that as well. He's also got a more interesting character to work with. 
So I think Eddie Redmayne's like a little hard done by, but maybe that's because Eddie Redmayne, like he kind of fits the mold of that. Maybe I, I, I don't know. It, it, I, I think the performance works. It's just not a flashy one. Yeah. And I mean, some of that, again, is the nature of the true story. And like Abby Hoffman was in real life, this real larger than life, you know, figure and, and Tom Hayden, you know, became a Senator from California. Like he, he, uh, he was not that, um, but actually, I don't know how much you know about sort of the production history of this movie, Scott, but, um, on, on the Sasha Baron Cohen note, this movie has been in the works for a long time. It's been a passion project of Sorkin's. In two, it, like 2007, I think, is when they started developing it. And Sasha Baron Cohen has been linked to this part. Like, he, he has been cast in the film ever since then. And actually, at one point, Steven Spielberg was going to direct this film, was going to direct Sorkin's script. Um, and it just never panned out. And but Keith Ledger was going to play Tom Hayden. Yeah, which would have been... I mean, it would have been better than Eddie Redman. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, we don't we don't know that. But. <laughs> we, we know. Um, we do. Um <laughs> But Sorkin's script and the performance of Sasha Baron Cohen um, are kind of the things that have held over from all this time. And eventually Sorkin, I guess, maybe couldn't find the right director or maybe after Molly's game, he felt like, hey, I can do this um, and uh, and decided I'm going to, you know, this is finally the time I'm going to bring this to the big screen. And it just so happened, right? It worked out perfectly for him with uh, with how things are going on in the real world when this movie dropped, right? Like, you know, the, yeah, I mean, the that's pr- a question protests that I wanted, are still happening. Yeah. Uh, that's a question I wanted to ask you. Like, is, is this film better because of what's happened this summer? Or is it actually like, for me, I want to like, one of those things is that I feel like the ending of this movie pissed me off more because of everything that's happened in real life more, like more than it would have otherwise, but obviously it feels more relevant and feel, like feels more culturally relevant, et cetera. You can like draw the direct connections a lot easier with everything that's happened this summer. But again, like I just found it, I just found the ending so much more frustrating because the fact that this like still is a real issue and where we're at today. Right. I, I don't know. That was just my thinking. Just and because I, I'm yeah. just so soured by the ending. But I mean, I don't feel like the ending is denying that it's a real issue. Uh, I just think it's no, no it's, but I think the, I think the ending is out of touch with the reality that we're looking at today, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get that. I, I I understand what you're saying. It doesn't bother me a ton just because I see this as like these people, even though I don't believe the, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character's decision, like I just see it like these people were kind of in this pressure cooker situation with this judge who obviously was just, you know, in- insane and biased against the defendants and racist and all of this stuff. And eventually in the end, um, they kind of just gave in and, and you know, gave into their better instincts, even those on the other side and said, hey, we had recognized that what uh, what happened here, while we may have disagreements about the actual like nature of the you know events and whether this was the best way to go about advocating for your position, uh, we recognize what happened here was very unjust in the eyes of the law, and um, that is why you know we're gonna you know kind of kind of come together in this moment of like honoring the victims or whatever. Um, I agree. It's a little tone deaf with the rest of the movie, but it doesn't sour the rest of the movie for me because I think there are really good points in the movie. And and that's the thing. I think, yes, maybe there's a a bit of good fortune about the fact that it has come out now right in a time that um, where these issues are just on the table. But I mean, you know, that's just that 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 is what it is. I don't think you fault the film for that because I I think I'm not faulting the film for that. Yeah, I think for the for the most part, the commentary that it is making would be good, would, would make sense at any time, right? Like, and would be pointed at any time. It just so happens that we are thinking about these exact questions that are in the movie. 
because of what's been happening over the past few months and is still happening. Um, and so I think the film is probably better because of the fact that, you know, we are in this particular time. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that suggests that like the movie itself would be bad if it was in another era, I guess. Is, is no, no, I no. I, I was actually trying to say the opposite. I think the film might even yeah. be better if it wasn't in the context of this because of some of the choices mm -hmm. that Sorkin made, which I think is probably not a pot, like probably not a mainstream opinion about this. But I, I for, for me, I just like I, you just can't watch this movie and not think about everything that's happening. And I think because like the film is not helped because of that, I, I don't think. Uh, I just think that. I just think for me, Scott, that any film that sort of like humanizes the protesters and, you know, shows empathy towards their differing approaches and, you know, how they decide to approach advocacy and protesting is making progress from where we are now. Because I think um, we're at a time right now where a lot of people just view all pro just kind of group all protesters together as violent, you know, th that are um, counterproductive to what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and the, the reality is right. That a lot of these protesters are probably characters in this movie, right? Like they have every intention of being peaceful. Um, and some of them probably do remain peaceful. Some of them maybe don't because they are drawn into conflict with, by, by the police. And I mean, that maybe that's an aspect we haven't really touched on, right? The fact that, um, to some extent, it seems like the police were the instigators. I mean, that's what the investigation finds, right? Like Michael Keaton who we haven't even talked about shows up as the former attorney general. And he has this whole testimony about how, Hey, you know, we didn't want to bring charges because the investigation revealed that the police started this whole thing. Um, and so I think any movie which can kind of portray that in a, in a humanizing way is, is going to be making progress to me, even if the progress is somewhat stunted at the end by um, you know, what he pulls in that last scene. I think from what I've seen, most people, this movie is re is resonating with sort of the, the common movie fan, it seems like, because um, it has a high audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. The people that I, in like the film community that I am with, who I don't consider to be like critics or anything like that, um, they are all rating this movie really highly on Letterboxd, even people with very different tastes in films. Um, and I think that, so, so it is striking a chord with people and maybe uh, it's easy for us, you know, being a little bit cynical, I guess, to look at that ending and, and say, well, yeah, dramatically, this doesn't work at all. It's cheesy. It's ham fisted, whatever. But look, maybe to the average moviegoer, um, they're actually going to get something from this. Um, and I mean, I, I, I got something from it, but you know what I mean? Even from the ending, maybe uh, they're going to they're going to get something from it. Um, and so. I, I want to leave the possibility out there, right, that maybe we are not the exact perfect audience to be, um, you know, deciding whether this movie is successful at everything it accomplishes, because I think we already had preconceived notions about protesting and stuff like that, that maybe this movie reinforces more than anything. Sure, I, I think that's true. I'd also be curious what like a, you know, black perspective on on this film might, might be as yeah. well, because Again, like I, I think this movie, like you're talking about the like this movie's doing something more nuanced. Like I think it's trying to, and maybe not, maybe not quite getting there in the nuance department, but certainly it is somewhat effective in and making parts of, or not even parts, but like somewhat somewhat effective in making the point that you're talking about here around like here are the benefits of like thinking about who these who these people are, their different perspectives, and considering that for what it's worth, rather than 
than grouping them all together and taking this approach that you know the the government did then. Like I said, I, I'm I'm going to think about it more, but I, I still wonder if this this film actually might be better better received by me if, if without the context of, of the protesters. But again, I understand that I'm probably a minority opinion there. I do want to ask though, like what what is the audience score for this movie? Because I was just trying to look it up, and I don't see that it has an audience score yet. Oh, I saw it. It was at 94 percent on both from what I saw. Oh, weird. I'm on Rotten Tomatoes right now. It's not there. That's weird. Okay. I mean, I swear that I looked it up, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was, I, I, th- I thought it was 94 on both, but um, I, I don't know. I, I Maybe I imagine that. I don't think so. I thought I looked it up last time. But anyway, um, when I talk about the nuance, um, I don't know. I think it's just for me, the fact that it targets, it seems to be targeting like liberals who specifically, right? And people who are already sympathetic on to various scales on to the cause of the protesters, but who are maybe in, engaged in petty disagreements about whether, hey, oh, should we actually be destroying property or whatever? Like I, I'm in total agreement with you, um, you know, about what you're fighting for, but should we really be destroying property, stuff like that? And it's, it, the movie is kind of saying, hey, look, let's just let's just if we could just come together, like all of us who are on this side and who agree with these ideas. Um, then maybe we could actually get something done. Forget about the people who you know don't don't uh, agree with protesting in the first place. We're not you're not going to convince them probably. But if we could, if everyone who is on the cause of the who who is in support of the same cause could just come together and um, you know agree to fight for that cause, whatever the means may be, uh, and respect others' differing approaches, then maybe we could actually get somewhere. But that's not exactly where we find ourselves. I mean, I think that's the 2020 part of it all, right? Because I see this dialogue going on on Twitter and stuff like that in in light of all the George Floyd protests and stuff of people who are like, yeah, I'm sympathetic to the cause. Should we be doing it in this exact way? And look, to be clear, like, I agree that violence is like not the answer, but like, you know, just property destruction, stuff like that is, is very different uh, from that, in my opinion. Yeah, look, I guess my take is, and, and maybe this is this shows my hand here in terms of like what my I don't know if you want to call it bias or perspective, maybe you know context perspective might be is that I don't find that take to be like super nuanced. Like I think that's like to me that seems like a really obvious like thing, which I know is not probably for most people. But like, look, like most people are not out there destroying property. If you think that that is the case, then like cl- I think that that then. <laughs> Media. But people do think that is the case. That is the but, problem. But that's, we, we but that's so that's but. The, just let me finish. That's the point I'm yeah. getting to is that like okay. the problem is is that people are just taking for gospel all these like really like flashy moments that you see, you know, on whatever news channel you're watching, right? Like obviously it's worse on some than others, but like you see that on any news channel, like you're anchoring towards that. Whereas you like you you don't see the videos on CNN of all these nonviolent protests going on. Like you don't see those videos of nonviolent protests going on Fox News. Like you don't see those anywhere. And like that is but like that is a problem they have to deal with. And so I don't think like the way that I think about that and the way that like I have conversations around that makes this point that the movie's trying to make. I don't feel like that is super nuanced. I feel like I, like that is an obvious point to make. I think the interesting part of that, though, is that like this film is not made in the context of 2020. Right. Yeah. Like, that, like ultimately, this film is not made with 2020 in mind. And so the fact like the fact that it's that it's not having the super nuanced conversation again, is, is another reason why I feel like this film would have benefited without this conversation happening in the background to it, right? Like this, like this comes out a year ago. I think this is a more interesting to- like conversation to have for like for the movie and what you're getting out of the movie than you are today where like 
it's a lot of what we've been talking about for four or five months. Well, okay, not a lot. I should say it feels like that news has cycled a little bit, but like it's something that is still relevant from time to time in the news now and was like all that anyone talked about four or five months ago. I think this film, and, and from my perspective, like the themes of this movie don't benefit from that because I think that that conversation has been progressed or is already being had. And like you don't need the film to have it. And I think that that is where, for me, it lacks a little bit further nuance, right? Because if I like, if I want to watch a movie and think about these things, where like I want the movie to progress the conversation further rather than say something obvious, and I think that the movie is ultimately just saying something obvious, and that's not the film's fault. I understand it's not the film's yeah. fault, which maybe is the point you're trying to make, but that's why I think the movie would benefit if it didn't come out in the context of of all these protests that have happened in the last few months. But it certainly makes it more relevant and probably boosts it in the Oscar running just because of how relevant it is. Yeah, uh, I mean, for me, the obvious move would have been to like. <laughs> make a movie that is like the last two minutes of this movie, right? Where it's, it's a lot of the film that we made. <laughs> it is more about, well, I know, but that, but that's my point is I don't think that is, I think that sells a, you know, I, I'm with you on the fact that I think it contradicts so, to extent to the, that ex, to some extent, everything that comes before it. Um, I think we just differ on how much that actually sours the overall experience for us. But my point is, I think the obvious move would have been to make a whole movie about like, Oh, trying to convince the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character and people who are on the no protests at all side or whatever, the people who aren't sympathetic to their cause at all, um, that what they're doing is noble, as opposed, as opposed to actually honing in on, you know, the people who are, are all on the same side at a macro level, but who are have these differences on a micro level. Um, I think, for me, that is where it is somewhat nuanced. Although, you know, it's still a, you know, Oscar candidate, broad, somewhat broad film. But it, it has to be able to appeal to uh, a pretty mass audience if it's going to, you know, get in that Oscar race. And I well, think it's also Aaron Sorkin, right? Yeah like, for, yeah. like forget the Oscar baitiness of it all. It's like it's Aaron Sorkin writing the movie, right? Like the, the conversation there. And the perspective is only going to go so is only going to go so deep as to Aaron Sorkin's yes. perspective. And that's not even I, I really don't mean that as a knock, but it's just like. It's no. a 50 year old or 60 year old white guy writing this movie, right? Like, like he's not gonna, it's, it's not a film that's gonna, that's gonna go, you know, down to the bone on, on these topics, right? So, again, I don't mean that as a knock, just a matter of perspective on the film. Sure. Um, I think we can wrap up now, Scott. Um, sure. I think, yeah, we, we've had a good conversation here uh, about this movie, but what was your favorite senior moment from it? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that one of the things that I appreciated the most about it, like, was the was uh, over time these like Sasha Baron Cohen like stand up pieces, and I think that all of them kind of led to this culmination point where you have this conflict between Eddie Redmayne's um, Tyler is it Tom Hayden Tom yeah Tom Hayden. yeah almost said Tyler Hayden like Tyler Durden or something uh, <laughs> Tom Hayden and then Sasha Baron Cohen's Abby Hoffman and I and I do think that this like conflict that finally arises between them in the final act of the movie that comes to a head that builds up from all these like stand up pieces and the theatricality of it all that that Tom just so you know strongly disagrees with um and wants wants all these people to take it more seriously it's a trial right we should be taking it seriously um i really enjoy that that final scene where you know he he does have this realization moment that you know the character is more nuanced and i and i really appreciate the nuance in Sasha Baron Cohen's character in that taking this like somewhat comical um you know character not comical and I'll laugh at him by the way, but like appreciate him for what he's doing and what he's doing is a little bit more lighthearted and eccentric and then bringing it something more serious in this sort of climactic scene between the two of them where you realize that 
he, you know, he's not just what he is, you know, on the surface. He, he has this character that thinks more deeply about things and considers things, um, at a, at a more critical level than just, you know, going up on stage and, and, you know, delivering some comedy. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I really, and I really appreciate it. I have no idea whether that's real or not. Uh, but I appreciated that moment, uh, in the film. If I had to go to a comedic aspect, uh, definitely, uh, all of the clarification that the two Hoffmans in the courtroom weren't related was pretty funny. Yeah. And that actually did happen too. I know. Uh, it, that, they even, sp- I was reading more about this and that they even spared the judge of even more like comical clarifications and like things that happen over the course of the trial. Like apparently some like random, like Dutch artist came up a bunch of times and the judges continued to like name drop him or something. I don't know. It was like really weird. Uh, and, but that judge seemed terrible and he still served for like 20 years after this trial was over. And that and and that's not uh, that's another great Mark Rylance line, right? Where he says like the the judge is like, oh, none of this matters or whatever, and he's like, this does matter because right now the uh, witness or the witnesses aren't even on record as knowing their own names or something like that. (laughs) The defendants aren't even on record as knowing their own names. It's it's a good line, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that that kind of sequence of events there because I think that was maybe a point that I should have brought up earlier, but kind of slipped my mind about um, it's not just their differing approaches to protesting that comes out, but it's like their differing approaches to advocacy in general. Leading, because, yeah. Right. Because he kind of thinks, Hey, because Abby Hoffman kind of thinks, Hey, the best way to accomplish what we're doing is just to go out here and protest and not to care about public opinion or anything like that. Um, just to do what, what we believe in and fight for what we believe in. And, Tom Hayden is more of the we have to actually win elections so that we can yeah. uh, bring about political change, which I think, again, is another conversation that we are having in 2020 of. Uh, is it about ideology know, or is it about action, actionability? Right, right. Um, are, are the protesters like actually hurting the cause be, by being out here instead of like fighting for political candidates. I don't know it, but it's an interesting conversation. But um, yeah, I think I would just go with the intro. Like I said, I, I really love the way that it set up all the characters. Um, I think he has really strong intros in pretty much all of his movies. Um, I think he does a really good job of character development in the very beginning Sorkin that is. Um, and I, I like the way that, uh, you know, it intercuts between all of them. It talks about them going to the protests. Again, you get a sense of what their protesting style is um from the very beginning and it just it just has that energy to it from the beginning right again like i sat down i you know started the movie three minutes in or whatever i'm like let's go like i'm watching a movie right now um and i just haven't felt like that a whole lot in 2020 and so i i really appreciate that um because um it gave me that jolt of like um and i mean look there are smaller movies and stuff that i've enjoyed but this was like that big you know, big movie thrill of like, hey, I'm watching like a Hollywood movie here, big actors, you know, big name screenwriter. Um, and it's just it has that hum of like a, you know, big, big ticket movie. And so that was that was fun, even if it was watching it on Netflix. Yeah, I, I found that I did like the opening, too, but I found it so jarring to then immediately jump to a year later, like like actually like quite surprising for like the next scene. Someone's like, oh, yeah, a year ago we did this. I was like, what? Like a year ago. Like, a, I, I think it smooths out over time, right? And yeah. I think that, that the point that you make around the structure of the film ends up working quite well. But it was, mm-hmm. like, really jarring to see it jump a year with, like, no acknowledgement whatsoever. And I was just like, oh, okay, well. Yeah, no, I see I see what you're saying. But, yeah, I think I agree that, like, 
eventually it all makes sense like why they yeah no uh, eventually it paces it really well and and, and break yeah. the action up like it does in the social network to your point earlier as well and yeah yeah the only other thing i want to say uh, this is not a positive so I, i'm sorry for slipping it in here because i think that those two are positive but um you mentioned the one of the when you're talking about jeremy strong the scene where you know he he gets arrested i think you mentioned the scene where he gets arrested or whatever where he maybe you didn't mention it but i thought of it or when so, you were yeah. talking Maybe you didn't mention, but uh, I found that scene, especially when I looked up later to talk about how that scene wasn't even real. It like really weird that they have him like saving this woman from being raped. And like that didn't happen. Like, I just find that really strange for that oh, character. Yeah. yeah. And and another reason why I found that character is just like kind of just like played off for jokes. And then it's like, oh, he does this like super heroic thing of like saving someone who's about to be raped by these like, you know, frat white boys over here like you know you can just like go ahead and yeah. put the maga hat on them and everything and i just found it, like really disconcerting like a w- one of the things i was looking to at the very beginning is that i think that some of these characters have better treatments than others and i think this is one of those characters where okay yeah you have eddie redman's character who i feel like doesn't hasn't been done a disservice but just like he's played straight it is what it is like he's probably not going to do anything flashy and probably not going to come up in any awards conversations and then you have jeremy strong who's like kind of like sasha baron cohen's character but like played for laughs and then has this like really weird made up arc around like how he's kind of like an idiot, but like he does this like really heroic thing and then like basically becomes this sort of like, I, I don't even know, like I don't want to say martyr. Right. But I mean, he does get arrested with the rest of them um, and gets played by this FBI woman. Like he did have this like undercover agent with him who was not a female and was not like dude like this, but it's like, like so weird for like all these things to be happening. And like half of them aren't real with this character. It's just really weird. Um, yeah, I wanted to bring I, that up I, earlier, but now I bring it up. No, that's a good point. I, I I had forgotten about that a little bit, and I think it is weird, like that. That is a specific scenario that they choose to portray because I like I get the point of like, hey, we're, we we want to show that these people, um, when they do resort to violence, oftentimes it is responding to violence by others. However, that isn't really necessarily what the you know opponents of these people care about, right? Like as as soon as this person starts to perform any act of violence, right? Regardless of the context, it's like, oh, there you go. That's exactly what we thought you were going to do the whole time. Now let's bring you in. Let's arrest you. But, um, yeah. but the fact that that is the specific scenario, right? Like the woman being raped, whatever that they um, that they chose to portray, was a little weird and exploitative. I agree with that. So, yeah. and also, I think, dare I say it, a little male gazy? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't think I'd go that far, but I do think it cheapens maybe a, a point yeah. that is a salient point to make, probably. But yeah, um, I, I, but I, I only I only say that in the context of the FBI agent being a woman, also being made like sexualized in a way of like, look, she's duping him for you know making it making him think that he's interested in her, and therefore like gains his trust or whatever. And then you have all these um, moments in the background that kind of. I don't know. Make him look like an idiot. That that, that this character yeah. is just a strange one for me for that reason. Yeah, I, they make him look like him. But I see. I just think it's funny because like it's so obvious that she is an FBI agent or whatever, and he just can't because she keeps making all these points. She keeps using all of this like super technical lingo of like law enforcement or whatever, and he's just looking at her like, huh, like something's not right here. But I can't put my finger on exactly what. But anyway, um, yeah. let's move into the wrap up, Scott. Uh, let, or let's move into scores. Uh, what's your score for trial of the Chicago Sun? Yeah, sorry, I derailed our wrap up. I take the full blame for that one. <laughs> That's okay. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I, I've definitely been the more negative of the two of us on it. Uh, I, I do want to say, though, and, and just to cap off my whole review, is that I still think a large portion of this movie is like really enjoyable, really enthralling. There's some really good performances. The script is, is very good for the most part, right? And, and it, it's almost, it, it seems incredible that this could have been real, but it largely is drawn from real things that happen with an exception of a handful of things. And so for that, even in spite of my hesitations, I think that I'm giving it a, like a, a 7.4. It's good and it could have been great, but it doesn't quite get there for some decisions that, you know, Sorkin at all made along the way. And I think it's further proof that he just needs someone to help him get that final vision onto the screen. I think his best work, I know we're only in of two in for him being a director, but I think that his best work comes when someone is able to filter sort of his raw writing ability and his, and his vision for storytelling and refine that, you know, whether that's Fincher, whether that's, you know, Rob Reiner, whoever it might be. I don't disagree that this probably would have been a better movie if Steven Spielberg directed it. Yeah, well, that's that, that, that something I want to say. Be like, oh, wow, I wish I'd seen Steven Spielberg directed this yeah. because, man, I'm like, this probably would have been just incredible if he'd done it. But it, yeah, it, it feels like, like, uh, just thinking back to the post, right, and the big scene with like Meryl Streep or whatever in the newsroom, I feel like he could have put, he could have helped Sorkin pull off the big scene in this movie better than he ultimately i mean there are big scenes in this movie but i'm I'm referring specifically to the ending i feel like spielberg could have made that could have pulled yeah. that off in a way that didn't come across so eye rolling but look yeah. i think this is easily sorkin's weakest film since charlie wilson's war and i still loved it uh so i give it an 8.8 8. i i understand I, I can't lie but i think i think you're i i think to the average moviegoer out there um i think you'll really enjoy this i i honestly do i i think this is one of the more conventionally enjoyable movies that we've seen since COVID has broken out. So if you got Netflix, please give it a shot. Um, I Definitely. think it's an important, it's an important movie too, despite, you know, that cheapening it a little bit. At the end. But. Yeah. I, I'll be interested to see how much Oscar attention this movie actually gets. You know, we have a lot, we have like five months till or yeah, four or five months left of movies to come out with the new Oscar deadlines and whatnot. But I wonder if this film is going to be another one that just doesn't quite make it over the hump on Oscars. Yeah, I, I just don't. Th- I, I honestly, I can't see any world in where that happens just because of um, how the movie, like, again, the showiness of the movie and then the political commentary, right? Like, I, I think that, um, yeah. you know, they're they're going to want to seem really like, like they really have their ear to the door, to you know, to the heartbeat of America um, and are therefore going to choose the movie for that as well. So um, they'll all be Tom Hayden in this movie. I understand your point that it is still early, right? Given the extended deadline, but like, look, there there are movies that come out early and still, um, you know, have have that staying power and um, can make it through to Oscar yeah. season. And I just feel like in a sparser year like this, and and right, Netflix like has learned how to campaign, right? Like they they've had multiple Best Picture um, nominees now, um, and. I think that this is clearly one of the movies, at least to me, that they are, that they want to be one of their awards contenders for next year. So I think they're going to throw everything that they have behind this in Mank, and we will see uh, what happens uh, in March or so. Um, yeah, it, it, it will be interesting. I think it's this is the equivalent of coming out in July, right now with like the like the end of July, early August, which Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did last year, um, but I don't think this movie is as good as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So. We'll see. No, uh, we are we are in agreement on that. Um, all right, Scott, we will uh, take a short break. And when we come back, we have a couple of news items to hit, including a new Mad Max spinoff coming and 
some news on Leonardo DiCaprio's next project. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, Scott, we have a few news items to get to. There's actually been a lot of news, I guess, since uh, we last did the podcast, but we'll we'll keep it to our usual two items here. Of course, some of our big bigger news you can find in our newsletter. I also took a fall break from the newsletter this week, uh, if you're wondering why you didn't get it, but I'll be back this week with that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure most of you have probably heard about some of the bigger news, like uh, you know all the stuff that's going on with the new Spider-Man film, like Soul coming to Disney Plus uh, for no additional cost uh, at Christmas time. Uh, those are some yeah. of the bigger things. We're not that talking about that, but that is a huge piece of news. Yeah, and the fact that it's getting crazy good reviews. It is. Yeah, no, this is it's being tapped as one of Pixar's best. You know, I mean, you know, it's not surprising to see with Pete Doctor attached. But um, tell me about it. But yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm very excited, right? Because this was clearly like they had the two releases this year. This was clearly their A release and their B release being onward was really, really good. And is still in my top 10 of the year. So um, I think this has the potential to be something really, really special. So, and, and, you know, we don't have to pay extra for it now. So maybe Disney is learning a little bit from Mulan, which I don't think did as well as those initial reports were suggesting. But, um, but anyway, um, Scott, you wanted to talk about some casting news that has come out from a new film by a director who, eh, we won't we're, talk about his last movie. We're not, we're not the biggest fan of, or at least we're not the biggest fan of his last movie. And yeah. um, but it's starring an actor who we are both fans of. You in particular, uh, tell us about uh, this well, new it's, film. It's from starring Adam actually McKay. quite a few, quite a few people who yeah. I'm a big fan of. And yeah, Adam McKay is that director. We we don't speak of his most recent film, but The Big Short, pretty good movie, I think. Uh, at least, well, I mean, I guess the most recent one was also well received. It's, but it's a good movie that I think because of the style of movie it is, has inspired a lot of very bad movies. I, that, I think a lot of true. people think that they can do it uh, and they can't. And yeah, Steven Soderbergh anyway, among, among, among him. I know we're getting off track here, but one of yeah, Steven Soderbergh tried to do it last track. year, but uh, it's bad. Jay Roach uh, tried to do it with Bombshell too. But, and Bombshell was fine. But, yeah, yeah bo Bombshell was underrated probably. In my the approach opinion, does not work for the serious issues that they are trying to convey in these movies for the most part, right? The financial crisis, it worked because it's a complex issue that needed explaining by Margot Robbie and a bubble bath. Dick Cheney, Fox News stuff. You don't need to pound someone over the head with that. But anyway, go ahead. Yes, another another Mark Robbie, uh, Margot Robbie explanation video. Um, yeah. Look, look. Yeah. So anyway, back to back to the matter at hand, which uh, Adam McKay's next, I believe, feature film which is actually, you know, we did we did a Netflix movie today. Is for Netflix. It's being produced and released by Netflix. Um, is going to star Scott. Tell me if this this cast sounds good to you. Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, Timothy Chalamet, Jonah Hill, Himesh Patel, Ariana Grande, Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett, and Rob Morgan. Ariana Grande was an interesting place for that cast list to go in the middle. Yeah, so the, so I listed the more the most recent announcements first, all the way through Ariana Grande, and then the people who'd already been announced for the film were Jennifer Lawrence and Kate Blanchett, uh, as well as Rob Morgan. So ridiculous cast here. I mean, look, say yeah. we're we're of the same opinion about about his last film, but clearly actors like to work for him. What you know, I mean, Christian Bale won the Oscar for uh, no, he didn't. He didn't win the Oscar. Sorry, Freddie Mercury won the Oscar. Uh, Rami Malek won the me, Oscar. 
let me be clear. We are of the same opinion about Vice. We are of a differing opinion from Adam McKay about Vice. You said oh, we're yeah. of a differing opinion. I just want to clear that up. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. We are of the same opinion about uh, yeah. his last movie. And But this cast, is, I mean, looks ridiculous. Like, I don't know too much uh, about the film, frankly, but Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, Timothy Chalamet, um, Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett. I love in this article, it cites Kate Blanchett's uh, like citation is Thor Ragnarok, which I just find so funny. <laughs> like that's the movie she cited as like probably her <laughs> highest grossing movie she's ever been in. Uh, I mean, that's true. If it is just doing highest grossing, although I don't think The Revenant would be DiCaprio's highest grossing. Um, anyway, anyway, the the cast is crazy on this one, and I think. Uh, look, it even as Haimesh Patel from yesterday, which we were both, we liked his performance, even if we differed in opinion on the movie. Um, I, that I is think, one where we did differ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I had to slip it in there where we actually differed in opinion on something. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I think that this cast is amazing, and I'll be skeptical going into the movie because of Adam McKay, but I couldn't be more excited for the cast he's putting together, and first and foremost, because of Leo and because of Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, no kidding. Um, that's 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 a loaded roster. That's a lot of Netflix money that they're going to be pumping into this yeah, movie. Yeah, because they're buying out all the back ends of all these contracts because of the way that they distribute their films. So yeah, I, we don't really know any plot details about this yet, do we? I don't think so. Okay. No. Yeah. I, so. I mean, look again. It's if it's a true story, then I'm really not going to be that interested in it. Sorry, yeah. actually, we do we do know plot deals details. I apologize. This is not based on a true story, but it does it is supposed to bleed. Com uh, blend comedic and dramatic elements. It follows two low-level astronomers who discover an asteroid is on course to destroy Earth and have to go on a giant media tour to warn mankind. So, there you go. Wow. So, it's like Armageddon galaxy meets Galaxy Quest a little bit. Yeah, it's like Armageddon, uh, but we're not going to try to save the world. <laughs> look, he has a good uh, he has a good uh, knack for comedy. Like, look, Anchorman is one of the funniest movies like to come out in the the two thousands, and he has a, a, you know some other Will Ferrell comedies that are you know pretty good as well. So, um, if it's not a true story, I'll give him a little bit of leeway with this cast uh, for sure. So we'll see how it goes, but. Um, but yeah, uh, so I wanted to talk briefly about Scott, a movie that I definitely have more positive feelings um, from the get go about. Um, and this has been rumored for a bit um, that this was going to happen. I think we may have even talked about it at some point when it was rumored that it was going to happen. Um, but uh, it is now confirmed that there is going to be a Mad Max spinoff specifically focusing on Furiosa, right? The Charlize Theron character from uh, Fury Road. I think that's what we talked about before, maybe the fact that she was a little disappointed that she was not going to be able to return to the role. But this is obviously going to be more of a prequel origin story type film because Anya Taylor-Joy, one of our favorites, has been cast um, at, in the role of Furiosa. Um, George Miller will be directing uh, the film as he has directed all of the other Mad Max films. And Chris Hemsworth and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, uh, aforementioned on this episode, um, are going to be in supporting roles. Um, so this is this is big time news, Scott. Uh, obviously, Fury Road is one of your favorite films of all time. I really like it. Uh, and I think, look, obviously, Charlize Theron's performance uh, as Furiosa is beyond iconic at this point. But uh, I think if you're going to get someone to replace her, uh, I, I think Anya Taylor-Joy is honestly a perfect choice, in my opinion. Yeah, I can totally see it. Look, I... I Every part of me will wish that Charlize Theron could have could have been in the role and they could have done something more with that character for her because she is, like you said, iconic in that role. But absolutely, like if if you have to cast someone younger 
into the role. I, I couldn't, I don't think I could pick a better, better person to cast than Anya Taylor-Joy. I think she has the vibe about her of Charlize Theron. And I think you're starting to see that in some of her more, some of her roles that are a little bit different from the ones we saw early on, whether it be split or um, I'm blanking on one of the other, or, or even like thoroughbreds. Like it, it just feels yeah, like she, yeah. yeah, like she has, like she has the ability to, to do that wider range and do something like, you know, Charlize Theron did with Furiosa. I think you, I, I can see her in that role. And that's exciting. Cause I think it's, uh, it says a lot that, you know, when anyone can see someone else playing a younger version of one of the, one of their favorite roles of all time, which is like that for me. Yeah. And I think with Emma this year, right? Like I, I know I enjoyed the film more than you did, but I think it showed that she has star power too, right? Like people may have concerns about, Oh, can she anchor like a film? Can she be the, you know, the, the centerpiece of a big film like this? And I think that Emma showed that she does have legitimate star power. Um, and so I don't really have any reservations about her in this role. Um, if I'm being honest, but yeah. Um, all right, Scott, I think that should just about do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelton 2013 And I am at Scarvy Dent. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Some Like It, Scott. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Even if you can't support us over there, uh, please rate, review, like, subscribe, do all of the things you do on your preferred podcast app, Spotify, Apple, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, uh, we hope that you will be back for our next episode of the podcast uh, to talk about Ben Wheatley's new version of the Daphne DuMaurier classic, Rebecca, on Netflix. Uh, until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We will see you next time. Thank you.